I'm home. This is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look into video gaming from the classic era until today. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on? Brian here, and this is episode four of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, let's see, as far as gaming goes, I haven't been doing too much, just a little bit here and there. Um, I did go to the arcade in Brighton last Sunday, but it was a painfully average day, nothing special going on. Um, I think the highlight of the day is that I went and played Asteroids and I got about, what was it, 44,000 or something like that, which is a pretty decent score, uh, considering the I haven't played Asteroid seriously until very recently. And then, before then, the last time I played it seriously was when I was still living in Florida, circa 1993. About, uh, I'd say, just before Thanksgiving 93. So, not too bad considering I hadn't played it in 25 years. Um, let's see, I checked our emails and there's nothing there yet. Um, I'm waiting for that first email or voicemail. Um, if you want to get a hold of the show, of course, it is arcadeaddictbrian, all one word, at gmail.com. And we have a telephone number for you. That is 734-743-2433. Okay, without any further ado, let's go into top tens. Top tens. Now we're into 1980. Um, I'm thinking about it. I mean, let's see, 1980. I'm what 11 years old, going on 12, and this is when video gaming really started ramping up. I mean, you saw the change in 78 with Space Invaders, then in 79 games like Asteroids and Galaxian and things like that, but now all of the major companies start seriously putting forward really, really great games, including uh, Atari, Williams, Stern, just looking at my top tens here, um, let's see, Midway, of course, uh, Namco, and, um, was it Tato? Yeah, yeah, Tato. And just, the list goes on and on and on. Um, I also call this sort of the year of Atari, because Atari seriously started putting out a lot of arcade games starting in 1980. They were putting out a decent amount, or at least from what I saw in the arcade that I used, in the arcade that I visited. Um, you would see games come out every once in a while. They'd been putting games out since the mid-70s on, on the regular, of course, starting with Pong in 72. But they really started increasing the frequency of games coming out in the arcade. Of course, by this time, the Atari 2600 had been out for three years, 
and the Mattel Intellivision had been out for one. I think the Intellivision came out. It is either 78 or 79, I think. I'd have to, I'll look it up, but we'll get to that once we get into the home systems part of the podcast, which is coming. Um, but yeah, I call this the year of Atari because they started cranking out just tons of games in my top tens. Let's see, five of, or excuse me, four of them are Atari games, uh, and another two are in uh, my honorable mentions. So, yeah, okay, let's get into this. Once again, this is just uh, in no particular order, because actually trying to go from ten to one with some of these games is really hard, and as I progress with 1980, 81, 82, and 83, the list, it just gets harder and harder to rate, so I just decided not to rate them. I don't need a headache. (laughs) Okay, so, okay. First off on the, the top tens for 1980, Missile Command. Now, once again, uh, when a new game came into my local arcade in Trumbull Mall, um, everybody flocked to it. And that meant that everybody was putting down uh, quarters on the bezels or on the, uh, on the machine itself to signify that they would be next in line to play these games. Now, the thing is, um, I remember when Missile Command came in, I walked in the arcade one day, and just like with every new game that comes in, just there's a crowd of at least, I want to say, at the very least, six people around the machine. And, you know, one guy's playing it, and... You know, everybody's just, you know, just watching or patiently waiting their turn. Um, I remember when Missile Command first hit, not only did um, the Trumbull Mall Arcade have one, um, they, uh, the bowling alley in Brookside Shopping Center, which was about three-quarters of the way uh, up Main Street from my house to the mall, which is another hangout, and I'll get into that uh, a little bit later in on the road. Um, uh, there had, you know, they had the bowling alley, Bolorama, which had been in existence since, like, I want to say the early to mid '60s, um, and they had a game room, and in that game room they had oh, I'd say probably, like, three or four machines and, like, two pinball machines. You know, that was usually how they ran. And I remember there was also a Missile Command machine there. And one time, coming home from the mall, I was walking home that day, and I usually will stop by uh, Bolarama if only to kind of sit down for a few minutes and you know, rest and kind of catch my breath from walking up the hill from the mall, then downhill from Main Street, and downhill on Main Street, and just walking to Brookside Shopping Center, and, you know, 
at this point, uh, video games are almost everywhere. You know, you have your arcades, you have your game rooms and bowling alleys, you have uh, department storefronts, supermarkets, drug stores. You know, each one of them has a video game machine in them. At this, well, if it wasn't at that point, it was going to get to that point very quickly. Definitely by 1982. You know, just every store in my area, including the little corner store in my neighborhood, had video games in them. But anyway, getting back to Missile Command. Um, I just remember this game was popular for a very long time. I want to say, oh goodness. I would say probably about three to six months. You know, just everyone's playing it. And, every, you know, in the beginning, of course, everyone's learning how to play the game. Then, of course, the regulars at the arcade, the experts, the guys who always came in, spent a lot of money on these machines and got good fairly quickly, they were coming in, and now they're going into seeing just how high a score they could get. And um, I just remember um, being only 11 years old, you know, the stand-up Missile Command, you know, of course has this big, huge trackball, um, and of course the three buttons for each uh, missile base. And I just remember it being kind of unwieldy, because I think that's like maybe like the second game with a trackball in it that I ever played. And I had to kind of sit there or stand there and just watch these guys, the, you know, the regulars that I said, watch them play it and, you know, kind of get, if I didn't get tips from them, which was kind of rare because they wouldn't tell me anything, you know. I was an annoying kid back then, you know. And there were, most of these guys are like, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, and the last thing they need is this 11-year-old kid, you know, constantly asking them questions, you know, what do you do in this, what do you do with this, why do you do that, why do you do this, they don't want to hear that, so I would just learn by watching, and I just remember, like I said, for three to six months, this game was very popular, and you know, it weeded out the people who couldn't quite understand how to play it fairly quickly. And it took me probably a good solid year before I became somewhat proficient at it. But I just remember people just loved this game, and so did I. It's one of my favorite games of all time, not just in this particular year. But, um... The funny part is, is that the arcade in uh, Brighton has it, and so does uh, Pinball Pete's, as a matter of fact. Uh, Pinball Pete's has a Missile Command slash Centipede uh, machine, and I remember playing it once, and the settings on the trackball weren't right. The cursor that you use to aim your missiles didn't move fast enough, and... I played it once, and I never played it again. I have yet to play Missile Command at the arcade in Brighton. Um, my godson is after me to uh, take him to the arcade um, next Sunday, which would be 
which would be the 28th of October. And I haven't made up my mind whether I'm going to go or not, but we just, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, that's Missile Command. Uh, next one, Asteroids Deluxe. <laughs> now this one I kind of avoided, like the plague, because it was, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. Um, I remember when... I'm trying to remember when this one came into the uh, Arcade and Trumbull Mall. Um, yeah, it was there... But yeah, I mean, it was asteroids. Sort of, eat, you know, the learning curve was gentler in asteroids. Asteroids Deluxe, the learning curve was steep. Uh, I think the game designers made Asteroids Deluxe with the uh, thought in mind that um, the person plays who plays Asteroids Deluxe is is pretty proficient in asteroids, so the learning curve was pretty damn steep. Um, but yeah, there were still guys who played it. I played it for a little while, but yeah, I, you know, it was just, after a while, it was just too hard. I mean, the, uh, asteroids, uh, themselves moved faster and at more sharp angles when you shot the bigger asteroids to break them up, um... Then the, uh, in, you know, the saucers themselves were a lot more accurate, including the large saucer. Um, the small saucer was absolutely deadly. And then, on top of that, they had a, basically a hexagon that would f come in off the side of the screen and move slowly. And it, when you shot it, it split up into uh, three... Uh, joined uh, triangles, and then if you shot those, they would split up into uh, single triangles, which would try to ram your ship. And this was just a lot for me to deal with. <laughs> you know, being an 11 year old kid, this was a tough game to, to play. I mean, the learning curve was so steep, it was ridiculous. Um, one of the things I remember about Asteroids Deluxe is that there was an actual uh, Asteroids Deluxe tournament. I think it was nationwide, but I remember the G Fox uh, department store in Trumbull Mall. They actually had an entry uh, for Asteroids Deluxe. And my friend Eric, who was pretty damn good at Asteroids Deluxe, um, I remember he entered into the contest, as did um, uh, my my friend Mark. And I remember um, I entered into it, and I I thought I was okay because I think I could put up like ten thousand, fifteen thousand asteroids deluxe before the game just overwhelmed me. <laughs> um, you know, Eric and Mark and a couple other guys, they're putting up like, oh god, what, 30,000, 35, 40,000, something like that, which was a pretty good score considering that Asteroids Deluxe just got hard. You know, it was a hard game, but it got harder and harder and harder as it went along. And they didn't last long on that machine because I think all the machines for the uh, entry 
for the uh, tournament, I think the difficulty was maxed out because it was ridiculous. I think I only got like what twenty five hundred on that machine, and it was just like it was crazy. I just couldn't I couldn't handle it. And um, I'm trying to remember. I think somebody out of the uh, out of the uh, crew that frequented the arcade. Uh, he, I think he actually got to the uh, regional semifinals or something like that in that uh, in that uh, tournament. But yeah, it was it was interesting. But yeah, Asteroid Deluxe was a really hard game. Uh, Battlezone. Battlezone is a tank game, which was a simplified version of a game that Atari apparently made for the military. I mean, I'll talk about it later on, and later on in our, or in another episode of our experience. Um, but the first time I saw Battlezone was in the uh, Bridgeport train station uh, in the snack bar, and I remember just seeing this machine one day. Um, I'm just trying to remember what I was doing in the train station. I think I was going to. New Haven with my mother or something like that. Um, and I remember seeing Battlezone, and it was just a crazy, crazy game. And I would, if I had a quarter and I was downtown, I would play it. And it was very, it was really good game to play. And it was fun. Um, the arcade in Brighton has it, and I just haven't gotten, gotten around to playing it, because, yeah. I gravitate towards certain machines when I'm there. Okay, uh, Battlezone. Berserk. Uh, Trumbull Arcade got this one. And um, this one was f- pretty popular as well. Because this was like one of the first video games with voice synthesis. And you constantly, as you were running through the maze shooting robots, you had the computer voices trying to encourage the robots to kill you. And, you know, it was just, you know, it was a crazy game. And I didn't really get good at Berserk until, like, maybe, like, two or three years later. And I remember the corner store in my neighborhood had Berserk as one of the games they had. And that's when I got good at it because I could just take, like, you know, 50 cents or 75 cents and just go there and just play that game. And by this time, in, like, 83, 82, 83, I was also buying uh, video game strategy books, so the tips that I got in those books served me pretty well and enabled me to get better at the game. Defender. (laughs) I'll talk about this one in Are You Experienced, which will be in the next segment, but when Defender, when I first saw Defender, yeah, I mean, uh, was it the James E. Strait shows in Seaside Park in the summer, and they had, I want to say, my memory wants to say six, but I think that's excessive, I think they had four, I think they had four, four Defender machines, 50 cents a piece, and it was the craziest game I'd ever seen. The colors, the sounds, the action. It was a hard, hard, hard game. 
I remember the first time I actually played it, I just basically sat there like an idiot, just standing in place and, you know, using the fire button and getting rammed by enemy ships when you're supposed to use the, uh, use the thrust button to make your ship fly forward, and that's how you're supposed to do it, but yeah. I mean, I remember one time I played Defender, I want to say the following year in 1981, when the James E. Strait shows came back, and by this time, the Trumbull Mall Arcade had a Defender machine, and of course, once they got a Defender machine, of course, it's the same thing. Rows of quarters on the bezel, on the, you know, the screen where it meets the uh, control panel, everybody's playing it, you know, and, you know, it's just craziness. Defender was a very hard game from the outset, and, you know, it even says so in a lot of the strategy books that if you don't know what you're doing in Defender, a game will last you literally 30 seconds. <laughs> and that is no lie, because that's what happened to me. But I will talk more about that in the next segment. Phoenix. This one... I remember when Trouble Mall Arcade first got this game. Um, it was, I want to say, moderately popular. It wasn't like popular like Missile Command was, or Pac-Man was, or Defender was, or even Berserk. But this one, um, it was interesting because it that game, it started out fairly easy the first couple of levels you went through, but the difficulty rating, the difficulty started ramping up when you actually started fighting the enemy phoenixes. And then when you got to the mothership stage, you know, you had to figure out how to get the highest score possible on that game, you know, or on that level, because that's where you got the vast majority of your points. And I remember just, you know, it was fun to play. It was a great game to play, Phoenix. Um, I may talk about it in Are You Experienced in a future episode. Okay, Moon Cresta. This one um, I found in two places. Um, or I take it back, I think it was three. Um, the first one was in the McCrory's department store in Brookside Shopping Center. And then there was a newsstand, which was, I want to say, a quarter mile further down Main Street, you know, heading back towards my house. There was a little newsstand uh, right next to Town Fair Tire in this little plaza. I don't even think it, I don't think it had a name, but it had uh, a Burger King. I mean, this shopping plaza used to have an A&P supermarket, but that one closed down. Um, they had a Burger King, it had a, uh, furniture shop, which was, like, untreated furniture, as a matter of fact, I think that's where my mother bought my, uh, my desk and dresser, which I still have to this day, I think she bought that in 1982, I think it was just before I went into private school in 8th grade, she bought that for me, um, Next to that, it was Jimmy's Army and Navy, um, you know, which was, you know, an Army surplus store where I would get jeans and sneakers and coats and boots 
for years. You know, that was where my mother went with me, and when I got old enough, she would take, give me money and send me there, say, hey, go get yourself a pair of boots, get, get yourself a pair of sneakers, you know, get yourself a, you know, get yourself a, a winter coat, you know, go to Jimmy's Army and Navy, get this, and here's, here's the money to do it. Um, next to that, it, there was a laundromat, and next to that, oh goodness, there was a car parts store, I can't remember what it was, I think it was a CAS, a uh, car parts store. Then next to that was the, uh, next to that was the uh, news stand, I can't remember what it was called, I want to say it was the news shop or something like that. Um, but it was this little newsstand slash grocery store, and they had all their video games in the back. You basically had to walk, uh, all the way in the back of the store, past, you know, past their register, and, uh, I think it was just before you reached their stock area, actually. And they had video games back there, and they had Moon Cresta. That's where I first started playing it. And that was a fun game because, you know, it was just, it was colorful, it was pretty, the game was challenging, and it was a lot of fun. Um, like I said, the other place was, um, the other place was the Rexall drugstore in Trumbull Mall, which was on the first level, um, right across the, uh, corridor from the Woolworths, um, and that one was, oh, I'm sorry, I take that back, I'm sorry, it was the Rexall in Brookside Shopping Center, like I said, uh, actually, it wasn't Rexall, it was Liggett's Drugstore, jeez, my memory is not as good as I thought it was, but, Oh, and I'm wrong again. No, it was the McCrory's. I mean, my apologies, folks. It's after midnight on the East Coast, and yeah, <laughs> my brain is clamoring for sleep, but, you know, I wanted to get this episode out first. So, um, yeah, it was the McCrory's Drugstore, and it was funny because, <laughs> and I'm not exactly proud of it, but I was on a ban from that ship, from that store, because I got caught shoplifting Matchbox cars when I was like 10. And anytime the store manager saw me or his assistant manager, they saw me because they had their games. They had that and they had another game, which I cannot remember for the life of me. They had that. They had Mooncrest and another game in there. And um, anytime they saw me, if I was playing a game in the vestibule, in the exit vestibule, they would come and kick me out, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, not one of my prouder moments, um, and I'm trying to remember, I think there, I think there was a, I think they had, I think the arcade in Trouble Mall got Mooncrest, but I think it was a little later, I think it was like 81 when they got it, but yeah, so I had, you know, it was, that was a readily available game, okay, uh, Pac-Man, uh, I talked about Pac-Man in the last episode in depth and are you experienced? Um, like I said, when the Trumbull Mall Arcade got it, you know, people were pouring quarters into it. Um, 
you know, on the regular. And it was a lot of fun to play that game once you knew what you were doing. And once you knew how to use, you know, basically how to use the maze and not get trapped by the ghosts and lure them to the location of the power pellet so you could get as many points as you could and develop patterns to clear the maze uh, and also be able to get the fruit for bonus points. Um, and it was just a lot of fun. Uh, Tempest. Oh, man, this game, yeah, people went nuts for this game. Um, I think they got this game right in, right in, like, oh, I want to say, oh, the last quarter of 1980, in that last three months. I can't remember exactly, but it was 1980 when they got it. Um, and once again, everybody glommed onto that machine for a long time, and, uh, you know, you, I learned how to play it. It was a unbelievably hard game, and it took, I remember it took me reading strategy guides and getting tips from other players how to play that game and be able to be good at it. It's just, I love that game to this day, even though it's a source of frustration for me now because I'm almost 50. I'm nowhere, I'm not as good with my reflexes as I was when I was, of course, like, what, 11, 12 years old at this point. And I can't get as far in the game as I used to. It's one of those where you, it's, Tempest is one of those games where you have to actually practice. And you just can't, not play it for an extended period of time and come back and be as good as you were. You have to work your way back up to it. Okay. Uh, last but not least, Wizard of War. This one I saw in Spanky's arcade. Um, and I remember when that first came out, and it was one of those games for a little while. It was another game that had speech synthesis, but as you're you, as you're navigating through the mazes and shooting monsters and things like that, the vo- you know the uh, electronic voiceover is taunting, constantly taunting you, you know, saying how you know these monsters are going to kill you, and if the monsters don't kill you, I'll kill you with myself. Apparently, it's the Wizard of War talking junk to you while you're playing the game. Um, that that game was a lot of fun. Um, I play it on the regular at uh, the arcade in Brighton. They have a machine there. And I need to break out my uh, How to Beat the Video Games uh, strategy book because in Wizard of War, there are places in the maze where the monsters can only attack you from one direction. They can't, you know, trap you from another direction. And I can't remember where those locations are, so... I just have to uh, break that out in order to do that. But even then, I put up some really good scores at Wizard of War, even though it's the first time I've played it in at least 25, 30 years. And, um, man, reflexes come back. That's the good part. But, yeah, um, Wizard of War is is a great game. You know, I'd say it's almost underrated. It's one of the best ones that, uh, 
Midway put out in 1980. Okay, honorable mentions. Um, Armor Attack. This one, I did not play very much. The only time I played it was at uh, Wizards Arcade before it burned down. Um, You know, and I played it a few times. I had a, a strategy guide for it, and, you know, it helped me to, you know, put up a halfway decent score on the game, but I only played it a few times. I never saw it. I think I may have saw it, seen it once uh, since I saw it at uh, Wizards Arcade in, like, 1981. Carnival. This was a game where I originally was playing it at the James E. Straight Show's Arcade 10. And that's the only place I would see it for a long time, or at least until I started going to... Uh, Uh, Milford Wreck, I think they had it. Uh, Crazy Climber, I think I've only played once or twice in my entire life. I only put it in honorable mentions because it was, you know, for its historical value, everyone who's an arcade player or anyone who's ever wrote a strategy guide wrote a strategy for this game. Um, The funny part is, is that the arcade in Brighton has this game too. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, I look at it every once in a while, and I'm just like, nah, I'll play something else. <laughs> you know, um, Polaris. Now, this one is uh, a criminally underrated game by by Taito. And uh, basically, it's a submarine game where you're in a <laughs> yellow submarine, which was, I'm pretty sure that wasn't an accident. By, by whomever designed it, but you're in a yellow submarine, and you are trying to, uh, with your uh, vertically firing torpedoes or uh, missiles or whatever they are, you're trying to eliminate the uh, two squadrons of planes that are flying uh, left to right and right to left in a crisscross pattern above you, above the surface of the water. And you're basically trying to shoot them down uh, so you can get the plane which has uh, torpedoes that's trying to kill you. And you're trying to kill that plane so you can go on to the next screen. Uh, As you progress in the game, um, a PT boat shoots along the top of the water and either will drop a... will drop a what looks like to be depth charges, but they just go all the way down to the bottom of the screen. Um, You're trying to kill that, and if you kill that, then uh, a a fast-moving mine drops drops down into the water, and you have to avoid it, otherwise it kills you, of course. Um, Also, uh, submarines start coming out from the sides of the screen underwater, and you can, in some cases, you can get under them and shoot them with your missile for extra points. Um, the game gets much harder, gets harder and much faster. And, you know, it was one of those games, I'm trying to remember where I first played it, it was in Milford somewhere. I don't think it was Milford Wreck, it was somewhere else. And I can't remember for the life of me where it was, but it was there. It was when I started uh, going to private school in 1982. Uh, let's see. Rally X. 
Um, I never was a big fan of this game. It's basically a maze game where you are, where you're in control of a race car, and you're trying to pick up all the flags in a particular maze uh, before uh, the three other enemy cars uh, run you down and try to kill you, uh, or you run into rocks in the mazes you know, where you think you have a way to go, and then your way is blocked by a rock sitting there, and if you run into it, you die. Um, yeah, I wasn't really good at that game, but again, for its historical value, I put it on the honorable mentions. Red Baron. This is a game that is pretty underrated by Atari. Um, it is a vector game where you are a World War One fighter um, and you are trying to shoot down uh, enemy planes and also trying to take out uh, enemy blimps for bonus points and ground targets. It's a fantastic game. Uh, first time I played it was in, I want, yeah, it was in the uh, Bridgeport train station. Um, that was the great part about it because the Bridgeport train station, along with the bus station, they always had really good games, you know, because what are you going to do? You're going to go, you're sitting there waiting for a train to, on, you're either on the train to go to New York City or you're on the train, you know, or you're going on the train heading towards New Haven. And, you know, you're sitting, you buy a ticket, you've got some time to kill before the train comes, so you might as well go play a game. Um, they had Red Baron. Uh, where I started seriously playing Red Baron was at Milford Recreation, and uh, yeah, that's where I f seriously started playing it. And it's one of those games that translates really well on emulation. So every once in a while, I'll I'll break out my emulator and I'll play it. But yeah, I love it. It's a fun game. Like I said, criminally underrated. Space Duel. This was the actual secret sequel more or less, to Asteroids Deluxe. Um, you know, third in that uh, series of games. Um, it's, a, it's a much more rare game than Asteroids or Asteroids Deluxe. Um, things are di a lot of things are different. There's a lot more going on. It's really, really tough to play. You know, you have to kind of learn how to play it. First time I played this game was... Um, I think it was at uh, I think it was at a Rexall drugstore in the Trumbull Mall. I think it was there. I'm not. My memory's a little hazy. It was one of those other places in the mall. It wasn't in the arcade. Okay, Space Firebird. This one is pretty rare. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Nintendo made this game, and it was a vertical shooter like uh, Space Invaders. And it was one of the. As a matter of fact, I'm going to look it up while we're while I'm talking. But it was one of those games where, apparently, if I'm not mistaken, I think Nintendo made this game and they thought it was going to be a huge hit, and it wasn't. And they made a ton of them. Yes, actually, a Space Firebird is a game developed by Nintendo. That's what it was, and. They thought this was going to be the huge hit game. 
and they made tons and tons of these uh, machines, thinking that they were going to be distributed throughout the United States. And the game was more or less a flop. I mean, it just wasn't uh, very popular at all. And then they had thousands of these uh, cabinets, and Nintendo was in a little bit of a bind. And if it wasn't for the fact that they got this little teeny itty bitty game called Donkey Kong, <laughs> you know, to come, you know, came out in the states, and that saved basically that saved Nintendo's bacon, because basically the first run of Donkey Kong machines, uh, they took out the Space Firebird. Uh, circuit boards and put in the Donkey Kong ones and started sending them out. And Donkey Kong became a huge, huge hit in 1981. But we will get there. We will definitely get there. Um, let's see, getting back to my notes. Uh, let's see. Space Zap. Now, this one... I, this one, I think I played maybe once or twice. I think I played this at the James E. Strait shows. It was, I think that was the only place I ever saw it up until I started, I went to the arcade in Brighton and they had a space stat machine. And it was funny because I had never, I think I'd only, like I said, I'd only seen it once up until like, oh God, when did I start going to the arcade in Brighton? What, 2000 and 16, either 2015 or 2016, and that's the first time I'd seen a space app machine since 1980, and, you know, that's why I give the arcade in Brighton so many pop props, because, yeah, they have machines I haven't seen since 1979, 1980. Um, basically, it's a, you are in control of a stationary space, you're in, you know, control of a space station that doesn't move. And they have laser cannons on each four of the sides, and there's a corresponding fire button uh, on your on the controls. And you're basically trying to shoot enemy ships who are trying to you know ram your base or trying to shoot at your base. And um, the game can get pretty pretty hectic, <laughs> but yeah, it's a wonderful game. It was awesome. Star Castle. <laughs> this was another one that was extremely popular with the regular crowd at the Trumbull Mall Arcade. Um, basically, you have an enemy base, which is surrounded by three concentric rings, which, uh, which rotate in opposite directions from each other. And you control a spaceship, and you try to basically breach the walls to be able to shoot the base. Now, the problem with that is, is twofold. First of all, once you breach the inner wall and the base has you lined up in its sights, it will shoot fireballs at you. Um, and then on top of that, these little tiny fireballs gener generate from the inner circle and they go to the outer circle and then they start flying off of the outer wall and they try to kill, they try to ram your ship and destroy it. And as the game goes further and further along, uh, the base 
starts once you breach that inner wall and it gets a shot at you it takes it starts firing faster shots more frequent shots um the 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 walls surrounding it start moving faster and faster and faster the little sparks that generate and come out and fly at your spaceship they start flying faster until they are literally the equal your the equal of your ship in speed and at that point you have to lure them back towards the base so they'll go back on the wall or you can destroy them with your shots um, the Arcane Brighton has this machine as well, and it's always fun to play that game, just as a, uh, just as a hoot, you know, I haven't seen anybody who's any good at it, because <laughs> every time I play that game, I get the high score on it, so that's my top tens for 1980, um, if you guys have any, uh, comments, stories, questions, um, just email me at arcadeaddictbrian.com. Okay, so that is it for top tens. So now we will go on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, baby, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. Say like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cushion. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Defender. <laughs> this game. Oh, boy. I go way back with this game. Now, uh, when I looked up the information on Wikipedia that I'm going to read off to you, they say Defender came out in 1981. No, it did not. Um, I know that there, you know that's what some places say it came out as, but no, Defender. First time I saw Defender was the summer of 1980. Um, it was at the James E. Strait shows, like I said in the last segment. Um, and I remember that these games were unlike anything else in the arcade. You know, in the arcade tent. Uh, the arcade tent had this wonderful combination of games from like everything from like Pong to Breakout to um, tank the tank games from the the middle 70s, uh, Boot Hill, which was like 75, Night Driver, which was 76, and like Starship One, which was 76 all the way up to the more modern stuff. And I remember I walked in there and, you know, I had like, oh God, what? I'd say I probably had like $2. Because at this point, um, I knew they had an arcade tent. And aside from going on the, uh, the flying Himalayas and going on the bumper cars... I had no interest. Oh, and going on their Starship ride, which I think started in... It was either 80 or 81. I think it was 81. But aside from that, those are the only rides I would go on. And maybe if somebody at, if somebody wanted me to go with them, like somebody from my family, I'd do the Ferris wheel. But, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, other than that, yeah, I would ask for as much money as I could get from my mother or my aunt, you know, and then I would just just take off and go to the arcade tent. That that's where I that's where my bread was buttered. Um, in in 1980, I remember. Um, I think it was my aunt. No, I think it was my aunt and my brother. I mean, at this point, uh, 1980, I'm 11 years old, going on 12. My brother is 16, going on 17. And you know, the differences between us could not be any greater. You know, he's at this point, he's looking, you know, going out with his buddies and, you know, trying to get girls and stuff like that, and, you know, the typical stuff, you know, teenage kids did in the, uh, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, and he wanted as little to do with me as possible. Our, our worlds could not be more separate at this point, and I remember, you know, he, I think he, walked with me to the arcade tent and then once I went in there he went off and did his own thing which was only to be expected um but I remember walking in there and you know the arcade tent was had a lot of square footage I mean a lot they had going between like the skill games and the video games and the uh the picture booths and things like that I want to say they had at least like 70, 80 machines in there I mean a lot, tons and I remember they had four Defender machines lined up right next to each other I just remember seeing this game and I'm like oh my god, what is this? and I remember going up to it and you know, after getting changed at the change machine, going in and, first of all, learning that the game was 50 cents, because <laughs> I don't think, I think this was like one of the first games that, the first video games was 50 cents, you know, because, you know, most games, even if they were brand new, they were still a quarter. Missile Command was a quarter, you know, uh, Battlezone was a quarter, Berserk was a quarter, Phoenix was a quarter, Pac-Man was a quarter. Um, but yeah, I think this is like the first one that was 50 cents. And I remember the first time, I mean, being just intimidated because Defender and its sequel Stargate are, from a controls standpoint, are the, one of the, they are the, they were the most complex video games of their time. Never mind that the game itself was hard, the control, they had master controls, you had a fire button which fired the laser uh, that the ship had thrust which moved the ship forward you had smart bomb which would kill everything on the screen, you had a limited number of those, you had a hyperspace machine, or machine Jesus, hyperspace button which you would press if you got into really serious doo-doo, you had to get out of there but there was a chance that your ship would you know, blow up when you came back on the screen um, then you had a reverse button, which would turn your ship to the right or to the left, and then you had an up-down uh, controller, which would move the ship up and down. So it was a very complex game, and it's like I said in you know the previous segment, 
um, someone wrote in their uh, in their uh, opinions on Defender that yeah, it's one of those games where yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, you will your game will be over in 30 seconds, and that was true. It would probably even be faster than that. Um, and I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I remember the first couple of times I played, you know, I basically sat there shooting and moving the, the ship up and down, but, you know, I would just get run into or shot down by the enemies on the screen and and with the quickness, too. I mean, I, I remember after that just watching other people play it and then I just watched somebody who was pretty passable at the game. I'd say he could... I think he put up a score of like 20,000 or something like that, which was really good considering the game was brand new. Um, he, you know, and that's how I learned how to, you know, more or less to play it. But then I remember because it was such a rush and such a, uh, at the at the time I thought it was a fairly cool thing to do. Um, now, just to describe the gameplay, you are controlling a fighter which is on a planet trying to protect the humans or humanoids that are basically, you know, are on the planet. The enemies that come at you are numerous, but in the first, first screen, it's all what are called landers. And they basically come, either they teleport in or they come in from the top of the screen and they come down and they left unchecked they will come down to just about ground level on the planet and they will look for the humanoids and they will go down and pick them up and the the uh humanoid will make a sound saying hey you know basically it's this little digital sound saying that hey i'm being you know i'm being kidnapped come save me so then you have to basically shoot the lander as it's rising up in the air because once it gets to the top, it will pull the humanoid into it and then it will turn into a mutant, which is a lot more, which is a lot faster, a lot more aggressive. And you only have 10 humanoids and you have to make those humanoids last four or five levels before they get replenished. Now, one of the things I saw someone else do, they basically flew below ground level on the planet and they would kill all the humanoids and when you kill when all the humanoids die the planet explodes in this sound this freaking uh paroxysm of sound and colors and everything like that and all the landers on that level turn into mutants <laughs> which is tough to deal with because now you're dealing with 15, 20 enemies. They're flying at you. They're trying to either ram you or shoot you down. And, you know, yeah, you're in for some hard times. And I just remember one time because I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I basically flew below ground level and killed all the killed all the humanoids. The planet blew up. And I just remember letting out this yee-haw! <laughs> You know, it's a little embarrassing, but yeah, I did it. And, um, 
and just, you know, the game ended pretty quickly for me at that point, because at that point, you know, I used all my smart bombs to try to get past the level, and I thought, okay, you know, I think I'm alright, I don't think I'll get a planet back, but no, it was the first level. I still had to survive four more levels, and I didn't. <laughs> it was just too hard. And so, um, you know, and then shortly after that, the arcade in Trumbull Mall got a Defender machine, and like I said, everybody was on that, like, white on rice. You know, five, six, seven, eight people deep, you know, at least three, four, five dollars on the machine, you know, especially by these, you know, middle to upper class kids who, you know, would walk in the place like 20, 30 bucks just to blow on arcade machines, you know, and they wanted to hog the game, and so they did, but I, you know, I learned from those guys. As a matter of fact, there was one time, I'm trying to remember what year it was, I think it was 82, it was 80, I think it was either 81 or 82, I had just gotten back from uh, a family reunion with my mother. My mother and I both went to um, Washington, D.C. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it was just me and her. Usually it's, like, my mother, my brother, me, uh, my grandfather went one time, aunts and uncles. It's usually a big to-do, but it was only my mother and I that time. And we flew down. As a matter of fact, I take that back, it was in Maryland somewhere. And we flew down, and, you know, we attended the reunion. And as soon as we got back, um, as soon as we got back, we basically had to fly out of New York. And in order to get to New York, we had to take Connecticut limousine from Bridgeport to, I think it was LaGuardia Airport. And it was the same thing. So, yeah, as soon as we got back, I had some money, and my mother gave me some money. And after I got back and we got our stuff in the house, I took off and went to the arcade in the mall, as I was wont to do at this point. And I walk in there, and um, it's, you know, the rich kids, they're tag-teaming the machine, but this time everybody is so good that um, they're able to turn the game over, uh, which, you know, Defender turns over at uh, uh, 999,990 points. Once you go over that and you go to a million, it goes back to zero. And then there's a glitch in the game where every enemy you kill, you get a free man instead of every, you know, like you get a free man every 10,000 in your normal game of Defender. And I remember participating in that because, you know, the, you know, they did most of the heavy lifting, and they said, "Hey Brian, you want to uh, you want to uh, play this game for a little while while we you know while we you know chill out for a minute because you know <laughs> their hands and their fingers were probably starting to hurt." Um, Defender is a rather rather physically draining game, I will say that. And I remember just saying, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it." And you know, I played it for about 25, 30 minutes while these guys, by this time, I'm actually pretty good at Defender, and nowhere near the level of these guys, of course, I mean, a good game for me in Defender is like, oh, I'd say 150,000 or something like that, these guys are, you know, turning the game over, um, and yeah, I helped, you know, I participated in that, I mean, they had this surplus of, uh, 
of uh, fighters. It didn't matter how many times I died, you know, and I would die quite a bit because, you know, at this point the game is moving pretty quickly and pretty heavily and a lot of stuff's going on and, yeah, I was dying a lot, but yeah. Um, yeah, those are my memories of Defender. I mean, I still play Defender to this day. The arcade Brighton has one. At one point, they had two Defender machines in there. But they have one, and yeah, I play that any chance I get, you know, no matter what arcade I'm in. Um, Pinball Peach used to have a Defender machine, but they know. Oh, I take that back. They still have one. It's on the uh, street level entrance to uh, the arcade, to pinball peats and if you immediately look to your right they have a row of williams machines and defender is one of them so yeah i play defender any chance i get um if you have any uh, experiences with defender you know stories you want to share tips tricks whatever it is uh just get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian.com and last but not least we're going to go on the road Monday, November 13th? No, 14th. 14th. Monday, November 14th, 9.49 a.m. <sighs> Let's see. Well, this is just a little bit of a... I won't... No, not a rant, but more of a expression, I guess, of something that happened to me on Saturday. Now, to give a little past history, when I took the job that I have now the first time, um, I worked for them for two years, then I got an opportunity to go somewhere else, then from that I went somewhere else, and neither one of those places panned out, I ended up coming back to the, coming back to this job where I've been for nine months. So anyway, um, when I worked for them the first time, I had a route and it took me through on, you know, off days, it would take me through Brighton because there were a couple of stops at Brighton. And I remember seeing this place called the Arcade. Now, me being a video game head from, I think my best recollection is 1975, maybe 76. Well, definitely 76, but I think it goes back as far as 75. But I've, you know, I've said it in other recordings, which I may or may not release on the internet. Depends on how comfortable I am with the topics that I discussed. But I'm a video game head for over 40, 40 years. 
you know, 42 years if you want to be precise about it. You know, going from playing games with my brother to becoming a mall rat basically because there's an arcade in the mall. Um, going out to arcades, you know, locally. Um, going to family reunions out of state and looking around for video game arcades and for the most part finding them. <laughs> I don't know how I did it, but I did it. But anyway, so yeah, I've been a video game I was a video game addict in my childhood going into my teen years, but now it's just you know, it's just who I am. I love video games. I love video game arcades, always have been. You know, the sights, the sounds, um, just looking at the machines, you know, especially the older ones dating back to like the early to mid 80s and, you know, the feeling that it conjures inside me when I look at that machine and or I play it. You know, I, it's like, oh, I remember this. I remember that. And the feeling of nostalgia it gives me. It's, it's more, to me, it's more, it genders a lot more in video games than it does to me in music. And it's a pretty close, you know, if I was going to put it, put numbers on it, I'd say a scale of 1 to 10 video games give me a 10, music gives me an 8 or a 9. You know, it's like that. But anyway, so I knew about this, you know, I saw this place in Brighton. And I remember the first time I went over there, you know, it was, uh, I was still on a route and I just wanted to check the place out. And of course the place is only open during the weekend. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, they wouldn't be able to drum up enough business during the week to justify the expense of keeping themselves open during the week. I get it. It's not like how it was when I was a kid. Because arcades opened up at 10 o'clock, you know, pretty much on the dot. Uh, they opened up, on, you know, 10 o'clock on the dot in the mall. The, you know, pretty much everything in the mall opened at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, mostly arcades that I went to, like Spanky's or Wizards before it burned down, or um, the arcade in Westport, whose name I can't remember for some reason I talked about in a previous recording, um, and other arcades in the area like Milford Rec would all open at 10 o'clock. But anyway, um... So I remember one day I worked a pretty long shift, you know, where I didn't get out of work until like, oh God, close to five o'clock. I can't remember exactly why. I think I just had a lot of stops and a lot of stuff and I did it like that. But anyway, I'm going to pause this here. I'm at a stop. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. So... Um, so yeah, I went there the first time after work, you know, I had a really late day that day. I can't remember what it was. I think I had a meeting after my shift or something like that. 
So I go in there and I could see immediately the place had a lot of potential, but it was not what it needed to be or even what it could be. Um, there were tons of machines. Sure, there were a lot of machines, especially on the upper floor because it had two floors. It had the ground floor, which had some video games, but mostly pinball machines and old, old pinball machines too. It, that was pretty cool. You know, I got to relive my childhood a little bit through some, a couple of those games. And um, then they had a stairway, a staircase that took you up to the second part, which was all video games, all old stuff too. I mean, it was there was some stuff in there that I just could not believe that they had. Some some games I haven't seen since I was like 11 years old in 1980. So I was like, wow, this is awesome. So yeah, I you know, paid them 20 bucks. I paid them 20 bucks and, you know, they gave me like, what, how many tokens? I think they gave me literally $20 in tokens, which is what, uh, 80 tokens or something like that. Yeah, 80 tokens is $20. So, and the problem was, is that most of the games they had were on 50 cents. Now, there are some that still to this day justify that much. But I shouldn't have to pay two tokens to play Pac-Man or Galaga or its predecessor, Galaxian. I shouldn't pay two tokens for those games. I shouldn't. You know, that kind of stuck in my craw a little bit. The other thing was is that a good portion of their games, I'd say probably a good... 25 to 30 percent of them didn't work or did not work correctly so that was another disappointment the third disappointment was is that throughout most of the floor area like if you walked in the place everything from the center line from the front door and to the left going towards the left corner the whole left side of the place was non-functioning games. You know, either they didn't have the space to put them in or they just didn't work. So that was also a bit of a disappointment. Um, I mean, I wrote a Yelp review on the place. I said, and I maintained it, this place could be the best arcade in the state, hands down. It could be the best arcade in the state, but this is holding them back. You know, this has so much potential to be one of the great arcades in the state of Michigan, easily. So that was how it was when I write, wrote that review, was it December of 2014? Yeah, December 2014. I, went, I, I remember, I went there on my birthday. I remember that. So, cut to November of 2017. It's a Saturday. 
you know, I need to get out of the house. Oops. No, I don't go there. Uh, I need to get out of the house. You know, I also have to do home care, which is my second job. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go up to Brighton. I'm going to give this place another shot. See if anything's changed. And also I have, I still had a good, oh, I'd say a good 30 or 40 tokens left. I could use those, play some games, de-stress a little bit, you know, have a little fun and then go do my home care and go home. That was my plan. Well, to my not, well, unbeknownst to me, I get up there and they go with actually one of the suggestions that I had that I wrote my Yelp review. It's like, look, the best way to run an arcade game these or an arcade these days is to charge a flat fee for unlimited play. Like say, what, 15, $10, $15. $10 would be awesome. You get a lot more business, but 15 is acceptable. $20 is too much. So, um, as it turns out, the tokens don't work in the machines anymore. And I'm a little disappointed by that because I wanted to play some games. But I walk through there and the place has changed dramatically. I mean, radically it changed. It was a whole lot better. A lot more machines, a lot more machines apparently that worked. I mean, they had some machines again. They had more machines I hadn't seen since I was like 11, 10, 11, 12 years old. So, you know, I, I just basically, after talking with the clerk on duty and giving him back the tokens, because apparently they're not of any use anymore and I'm not going to keep them, I just gave them back to him. You know, I just do a little walk through the place and I'm like, yeah, I'll come back when I've got some money because I was flat broke. I was flat broke. I barely could afford to expend the gas to go up to this place to check it out. So I'm at another stop, so I'm going to continue this. Okay, I'm back. So, yeah, the place was a lot better, looked a lot better had a lot more games, had the old school games that I remember playing when I was a kid. Um, you know, had an area for parties because they had like a kid's birthday party going on in one, sp one spot and directly across from the tables where that was going on were more machines, which I checked out. I mean, they had multiples of certain things. I think they had like three Ms. Pac-Man machines. I think they had like a standard one. Yeah, standard one, a, uh, a hyper speed one, and then uh, another one. They had two Galaga machines, one on the bottom floor, one on the top. Um, Defender and Stargate machines. I mean, Punch-Out and Super Punch-Out, which I was impressed with, because I very rarely see both machines in an arcade at one time. Um, let's see, what else? 
So, I mean, this is really good stuff. And I think, I think, at least from what I saw from, you know, the, uh, the machines that I saw while I was there and then comparing them to the machines that I saw when I was there the first time, I think they may rotate machines in and out. So that's pretty cool. Um, let's see. So when I get $15 free and clear that I can spend without feeling it, and that gives pretty much a hint to how tight money is with me right now, um, I'm going to go back up there on a Saturday and I'm just going to plunk down $15, you know, on a free play Saturday and I'm just going to play until my fingers and wrists hurt because <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been able to do that. I certainly can't do it at Pinball Pete's because while they have a halfway decent selection of the classics, quote unquote, they are more about the big machines which cost a dollar to play. They're more about the ticket, ticket games which I understand because those things make a lot of money because the kids get into those, you know, the younger kids get into those and because they want to play a game and be able to redeem it for something. Um, and, you know, they have dancing games and things of that nature. And of course they have a lot of pinball machines, of course. I think they have like, I'd say, I'd say probably close to 20 machines in there, which is pretty good. And the arcade has a good, I'd say what, 12 to 15. And they're all, they're almost all of them are modern. All, you know, they have a, a Star Wars, which only came out like, what, two months ago? You know, they have Aerosmith, they have Metallica, they have um, Kiss, you know, they have all the new Stern machines. Shout out to Jack Danger. Um, that reminds me, I need to talk to I need to talk to him when he's streaming next, which I think is today. Um, I'm gonna tell him that if he comes out this way again from Chicago, that he should talk about streaming uh, from the arcade because they have a lot of machines. I'm wondering why he just doesn't have a mobile rig that he can set up so he could go from machine to machine and not uh, you know, and not just be stuck on one machine for the whole night. But we'll see. I'll talk to him. You know, I'll talk to him and let him know, hey, this place has improved quite a bit and you should, you know, check it out and stream from there if they'll let you. I mean, he's getting enough traction on the internet that he just might be able to pull something like that off. He's pulled it off in more than a few places, so I don't think it'll be a problem for this place. But anyway, getting back to it. So, I want to say that place has probably a good 60 to 80 machines 
a lot of them predating 1985. So that's one of my that's right up my alley and I'm going to hit that hit up that place as soon as I can get a little bit of cash free and clear to do so. Um But yeah, I mean, just walking around the place, you know, and seeing this machine or that machine and seeing how it, you know, it it just brings back a certain feeling. Just like listening to a certain song by Iron Maiden or Rush brings back memories. Like certain Rush songs bring back memories of hanging out at my friend Mark's place, you know, prior to going to Milford Rec, you know, or listening to a certain Iron Maiden song brings back hanging out at my buddy, my best friend Rob's place after school, you know, listening to music and playing games on his Commodore 64, you know, playing D&D and all that kind of stuff. Just brings back those kind of memories, good memories too. Um, so, you know, that's what arcades do to me. You know, if, if they've got the right combination, the right mix of games, especially if they've got a lot of the old school games, yeah, it takes me right back. There's, you know, the, the 11-year-old boy in me starts jumping up and down saying, come on, let's play, let's play, let's play. You know, you remember, I remember this pattern. Come on, man, put some money in, let's play. You know, there's that part of me that gets excited. And I'm going to have a lot of fun playing playing those machines. You know, and I, after I got home from going there and doing home care, I got back on Yelp and I said, okay, I wrote this, I wrote a review about this place, not giving it the most positive of reviews. You know, I gave it an average review. I, you know, and I said, look, this place has potential, has a lot of potential and they need to get it right. They need to come up with a better, uh, business model, you know, better way of making money and, charging a flat fee for free play is a whole lot better than uh, giving out tokens because they don't make that kind, they don't make that level of business. I don't think a lot of arcades short of the fun spot in New Hampshire make that kind of money anymore. I mean, the fun spot is a world-renowned video game arcade in New Hampshire. Been in business for a long time. So, you know, you don't, you won't have, make that kind of money. They can actually afford to be open seven days a week because I think where they're at is in a tourist, tourist area in New Hampshire. So they can afford to make, they can afford to be open seven days a week. This, the arcade can't, not where it is in Brighton. They need a better, well, I've always said that they need a better location. They need a better location in order to, you know, 
have a lot more foot traffic because that was the other thing about that place. It was jumping. I mean, it was. I mean, it wasn't like jam packed. You know, of people playing games. Not every machine was occupied, but there were a lot of people there. I mean, there was a birthday party going on. There were, I'd say, a good 30, 40 people in the place, aside from the birthday party, just in there playing games, which is awesome. That's the thing I like to see. So, anyway, I'm going to stop this here. Um, the arcade was a better experience just, uh, just from observing it. It was a better experience. And I'm wondering if they may have to relocate to a bigger spot or even a more centrally located spot in Brighton because they, this place, if it keeps doing what they're doing and they keep making, you know, they keep making money and they pour a good portion of their money back into their business, they have the potential to be the best arcade game in the state of Michigan easily. They're already better than Pinball Pete's and any other place in Michigan that I've been that I can think of. And I'm just hoping that they continue to go along this track and improve. And because every region, or at least city, you know, like Detroit has a lot of, you know, not a lot of, but they have like three barcades now. You know, Detroit's undergoing a renaissance, thank God. You know, especially downtown. I mean, what with the Little Caesars Arena being built. And um, now they have all four of their major league teams basically within spinning distance of each other. You know, with the Lions being in Ford Field, the Tigers being across the street, literally, in Comerica Park. And now you've got the Pistons and the Red Wings playing in Little Caesars Arena. And even before Little Caesars Arena was built, Detroit was on the comeback. I mean, they've got a ways to go still, but they're on the right track. And now I read a article that there are like three different barcades in Detroit. And I want to go and check those out too because if I'm going to be doing a podcast, you know, talking about video games, talking about arcades, talking about my memories as a video game addict back in the late 70s, early 80s, I have to, at the very least, go to different places and, you know, talk about my experiences there. That's the idea. So the arcade is going to be the arcade if they keep going the way they're going and the you know it's a fair price for a free play saturday or a free play sunday you know it's a fair price it, you know and you can play as many of the games as you want you can play to your heart's content until your feet start to hurt and your fingers are starting to you know get red and hurt and your wrists start to hurt i mean it reminds me of those days when I would drop $20 in Spankies and literally be there from early afternoon until late at night until I had to leave the place and walk home. But that's a story, another story for another day. 
anyway, so I'm at a stop now. So I'm going to put, I'm going to stop this now. And this is Brian with his Meteor Arcade memories and experiences signing off. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. If you wish to contact the show, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictryan, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail number for the show. It is 734-743-2433. Until next time, this is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. <laughs>